their face Pretty soon you gon' take their place Listening to Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel, and today in the studio, John Marshall uh, joins us. Welcome, John. Thank you, T. It's it's good to see you. It's good to it's see good you. To see, um, I should say that the show, the program today, is taped, um, so we're talking talking at you from September 18th, 2008. <laughs> and John, you're in town to read at Shaman Drum. I'm looking forward to it. So, so hopefully, yeah. some of the listeners will have had a chance to to catch you in person by the by the time there this is coming over the airwaves. I hope you came on down. <laughs> That's right. Well, um, and John's in town with his his book of poems, Meaning a Cloud. And just as, by way of introduction, I'll read the bio in the book. J.W. Marshall is co-owner of Open Books, a poetry bookstore in Seattle, Washington. This is his first full-length collection. So now we have some time to fill in some of the biography. All right. <laughs> if you don't mind, John. Not and may, at all. And may I call you John, or should yeah. I say J.W., or what, what um, do you go by? For I mostly go by John. J.W. came about because uh, in Seattle... <clears throat> Excuse me. The book editor at uh, one of the dailies is named John Marshall, and he'd been there for over 20 years, and people confuse the two of us to this day. So for me to publish, I sort of needed another name in Seattle. Uh, and I've always loved my initials. So what the heck? So so do people? Do some people actually? They do call you JW now. Yes, John. Or is it only in print when? when oh no, no. People who who don't know the John part of it oh, okay. um, get to call me JW, and that's fine. I, I I use those initials sometimes if I'm buying hamburgers at a very popular place, and every third guy's name is John. Right. Uh, I'm JW. So at, at like the Red Mill Burger. Or exactly. Something. That's the yeah. place I had in mind. Okay. Yeah. How funny. Yeah. I miss Seattle, so it'll be nice if we will have yeah, a little Seattle talk, talk, right? Yeah, you're on. <laughs> and some folks stream stream the show in Seattle, so um, you, that, that'll be, they'll be able to... Excellent. Well, here's hear. a shout out to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All of you. Exactly. All of you. Um, so, so, yeah, and I go by initials, too, so we can right. talk to each other with like our that. initials. <laughs> that would be quite, quite mm-hmm. cozy. Um, 
So, so John, this is a this is your first full length collection. So, so what does that mean? Does that mean you have um, poems that are are in in other anthologies or what? what? Um, I have uh, published of mine two chapbooks, and in fact, they the first and third sections of this book both uh, are are in the two chapbooks. Um, each has a kind of a narrative arc, and a chapbook is a smaller piece, usually uh, held together by thread or staples. It's a, think of a chapter in a novel, if you want to think about what a chapbook is. And so the section one was its own chapbook, yeah. and then the, the final section of yes. the book was its own chapbook. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I did, I noticed at the beginning of your book, um, uh, John, that, uh, let's see, you've also had some of the poems pin- printed as broadsides. And was that Paul Hunter who yeah. had, had set those? And Exactly. Woodworks Press. And, it, and he did the two chapbooks. Oh, um, okay. Well, yeah. so, so letterpress chapbooks. Yeah, they're well. handset type. And he carves uh, an image, actually three images for each book out of wood. He's, he's a, a jack of all trades and master of most, too. And, and poet as well. And poet, yeah. Well-published poet. And, and um, Sweet guy. N- um, n- compatriot knower of Richard Hugo from back in right. the, um, the, the, the the tavern days. Right, the, uh, the blue moon. The blue moon, thank Not you. Not the red mill, the blue moon. <laughs> <Right>. Yes. <laughs> All, you have to have a color. Yes, in yeah. Seattle apparently, yeah. right? Yeah. Especially in the, the long, the winter, the um, right. some of those summers that can be kind of cold. <laughs> the gray days. The gray days, yeah. Yeah, um, the, the, yeah the shades of gray. Um so, so which poems were the broadsides? Because those are always they have actually only a, one was only. a broadside, and it was the night shift nurse brings her shoes to work in a paper bag. Um, Paul had heard me read it, and he asked if he could make a, a broadside out of it. And then, subsequently, he'd heard other hospital poems. That's a, clearly a hospital poem, the night shift nurse. And yes. so he asked to see a manuscript, and then we hammered it out, and that that became the first chapbook. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah, it was lovely to be invited. And, Staggeringly lovely. <laughs> Instead of, you know, being trudging around, clutching some pages, trying to get someone to do something with them. And and he said he has a, a, a bunch of broadsides because I think there was a show that was put up on the, the walls of Richard Hugo House there on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. And so, so many people. Can can you think of some of the oh, other people that... Uh, I mean, it's... Um, and he does you some signed locals. yours too, right? Yeah. He you signed the broadsides? You sign them all. Uh, he does a... A couple hundred, but he is now attached to um, what are they called? Counterbalance poetry is people as uh, two guys who bring poets in of national repute, like um, John Ashbery's, for instance. And so Paul then did a broadside and got Ashbery's signature on them all. So he's uh, Ash- Ashbery. I think there's even. Um, Stanley Kunitz. I mean, it's yes, Sherman Alexi too. Yeah, it's a kind of a, a, a knockout series, and oddly enough, still most of them are available, which surprises me. I thought he would sell it, particularly the Kunitz. I thought would be gone, and maybe it yes. is by now. Yeah, but I think um, sometimes it's maybe people don't know unless there are shows of them up, or, right? Or it, or it, um, at a festival like Bumbershoot or something. Yeah, like and that, Paul's, maybe. you know, Paul works out of his basement. He's not, you know, the most market marketing <laughs> sensible guy. No offense, Paul, if you're streaming this. Um, and and we're up in a different corner of America too. Yes. You know, I think if he was in Boston, um, they'd be gone. What about yes? Yeah. Well, speaking of marketing sense, John, let's fill in this Uh-oh. part of your. <laughs> 
Right. No funny faces on the radio. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, I'm just kidding. Make as many as you'd like. I'm sure I'm making them at you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, But you, you've, you've run a, a poetry bookshop in Seattle for how many years? Open book. We've been 13 years since last April. Uh, and and in in fairness and in honesty, it's Christine Devils and mine. It's my wife's and mine. And there is no way that either one of us could run it alone. Um, but we have no employees, so it's it's entirely us. And that's thirteen yeah. years of I think a, a, a strong devotion to to poems. And- oh yeah, I mean it 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 it's odd. It's our life. Um, in so many ways. So we do events. We sell books at events out of the site. We host readings in the site. And we even go to events that we're not commercially attached to. Um, and it's it's a blessing. I mean, it's a, a blessing because the people we sell books to are eccentric and they're uh, kind of wonderful. Uh, it's can you tell, is there a story that you're thinking of when you're saying that? Or Lord, no. I mean, there, you know, the eccentricities are just multiple. They're there's, no, there's no way you can peel one out. Um, and what's, I think, one of the more interesting things uh, is that we keep track of the number and price of books people buy and give uh, the average cost of 12 books in credit when you buy 12 books. It's, it's, it's you know, like a coffee card mm-hmm. or something. So we've kept track for years and years, and we have a couple people who have bought over a thousand books each. We have several who are way into the hundreds, and the, and these are all books of poems because that's the oh, only yeah. thing in the shop: books of poems. Yeah, they are all books of poems, almost, and that we'll order anything for anybody as long as we believe they're actually going to buy it, if it's not something that we would put on the shelf if they didn't pick it up. So our good customers, and we have people who order uh, health books from us, gardening books. Uh, We we live across the street from a child psychologist who, or psychiatrist, actually, and once a year he gives us like a list of 20 child psych books he wants us to pick up. And And it does help us. But I'm sure it's it's less than one percent of our of our sales. So, but 13 years ago, when did you and Christine then make the? How did you decide to have a place for poems? Because it's almost, um, <clears throat> I don't know, like in a way how even used bookshops now, in some ways, they're almost like museums because of the, the <laughs> oh, internet. Oh yeah, we, or we have the, days where we're running a museum. <laughs> no, oh yeah, no, no. Oh, that's actually how we refer to it. I'm surprised you knew that word. Yes, when no one comes in or three people come in and one of them wants directions to another bookstore, it's kind of like, oh, this is a museum. Oh, it's just the way it is. You know, then we have days where we're swamped. So it all averages out. Uh, We came to it. Each of us has an MFA. We each have MFAs in poetry. Um, I bought a general bookstore in 1987. It was a neighborhood bookstore, very much on its last legs, quite failing, but also quite inexpensive. It had a great history. It had been a, a general bookstore on a site, not the one that I bought, but on the site since 73. And some terrific people owned it, and it was, it was really a vital bookstore. And then it went through two changes of ownership. Was, the, that's not red and black? or No, or it's, it was in Wallingford. It was in Wallingford. So, yeah, okay. just seven blocks up. It used to be Montana Books. Oh, okay. Yeah. And... Um, 
by the end of our second lease, more than 50% of our book sales were in poetry books. It's what we knew how to talk about. If somebody came in and asked, you know, what's a good science fiction book, I'd stare at them or I'd say, I sell a lot of copies of this or that. But I could talk about poetry. And so we figured two things, that we needed to own our own site because paying rent was ridiculous and the rent was really going to skyrocket. It was quite clear. Barnes & Noble had just opened in University Village, which is about three miles two miles from us. So having a general 1,000-square-foot bookstore became, like, clearly an impossible thing to do. And we could carry used books, and we and we had the audience. Yeah. I mean, we had our audience. So And you so had the passion. It. I mean, yeah. obviously, both of you, that's the, yeah. the knowledge and the passion. Yeah, but I think the passion would not go away if we didn't have the bookstore, <laughs> interestingly enough. It's because we're also uh, commercial animals to some extent. I mean, this is a business. We're trying to sell books. Uh, and I don't mean this flippantly. I could be selling tires at uh, 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 Les Schwab. I mean, it's, it's also commercial. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, John, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, J.W. Marshall, Meaning a Cloud. We'll be back. To Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, program J.W. Marshall is in the studio, Meaning a Cloud, his book of poems, um, out with Oberlin College Press. And that's, that's Field, the Field yeah. series. Yes, the and Field it, Prize and Field Magazine, they do too. And so I, I saw that you had some poems in, in Field as well, yes? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very happily. I love that magazine. Yeah. <laughs> do you also carry in the shop, do you? You carry magazine, poetry journals and magazines as well? We carry some, yeah. 
field, certainly. F- okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there's a plug for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about the book, John. Sure. Now, um, it's it seems like let's see. So this is this is a first book besides yes. the the two chapbooks, as we as we said, and it and um, you've you've got sections here, um, and and this is like the obvious question. So is this because the the first and the final section were the chapbooks, and then you had um, Yes. Other po- I, I, yeah. I, yeah. other and, poems or, or, or... Right, and the section in between the two, because the first and the third have narrative arcs and are personal. The first section are hospital poems that relate to my having been hit by a car when I was 20 years old and working in a gas station. I uh, wanted to ask you if that was autobiographical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and, and hopefully... You know, tweaked and made surreal and and mucked with, but yes, yeah. it is. It is <laughs> mucked with. That's yeah. a good one. <laughs> yeah, and and then the last section too is autobiographical. And my mother, and my whole family lives in Seattle or very close. And my mother had a stroke and um, ended up in a nursing home for a couple of years before she died. And I I write every day, more or less. It's kind of slipping a little bit right now, but. Um, Every morning, just try to put some words on paper. And so after she died, I went through the stacks of paper that had been around since her stroke and found pages where I had referred to her either directly or indirectly, and then tried to find something in there uh, worth assembling. And so so the long and the short of it is those are the two, the first and the third section. The second section, I wanted something beyond me. I wanted something about writing about the polis, about about us. And so those, because I get tired of me, you know, and so uh, the idea was to, yeah, find a, a broader, sometimes political poems, things that, that talk about the aggregate and not the particular. And so you had these poems that you'd been working on at, on a daily basis, and are they... Um are they poems that you also return to, John? Is that your working style, where you or or do you have a lot of fragments, and then every once in a while you'll you'll keep working with one, or is it more the production of every day? Or it's kind of it's the middle thing you said there. There are fragments, and then some of them call back and ask to be attended to more uh, rigorously, and then that may turn into something, or you know, after a couple of weeks. We may tire of each other, and they get slipped back into the pile. Because um, what was the yeah. span of of making this book then? Because oh. you have these poems from when you several said you lifetimes, were twenty years, yeah, yeah, twenty years old, and yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah. I mean, I didn't. I was hit by the car when I was twenty. The the, the, the writing didn't... I did then, no way in heck <laughs> could they be in this book. I mean, okay. I I filled a page with a four letter word at one point as as an exercise. Um, but, Ooh, that would be one poem that we couldn't have yes. on the program You're until right. late at night if there's a special no. edition, Living Writers, no, no, J.W. Marshall. I think you would ask me <laughs> to pay your FCC fine for that one. Um, yeah, so, so these poems, uh, some of them go back more than 20 years in the hospital section. Uh, in the middle section, because, because I have somewhat tired of myself, the... Uh, um, where else is the section title for that? So yeah. beyond the self, maybe. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, those are uh, some of those were 
you know, within six months prior to the book coming out, uh, uh, Oberlin, the editors, asked me if I had anything else. Um, they wanted to look at a couple more poems, and they picked from from a, among a few, picked a few. So oh. there are some very relatively fresh ones in there. So they were instrumental in, in making editorial choices for what came, came into the book? You know, interestingly, John? they would have. They liked my manuscript because they said it required very little work. Uh, and part of that, we'll go back to Paul Hunter, whom you referred to earlier. He He's quite a hands-on publisher slash editor. So, so the hospital poems, I wrote a couple for him. You know, he said, look, there needs to be something between this poem and this poem. He wanted me to say what happened. Mm-hmm. And I had never said what happened, you know, literally getting hit by a car. And so the second poem in that section was written because because I wanted him to publish this uh, uh, the chapbook. And about fifty percent of the time he was right, and fifty percent of the time he was wrong, and we'd argue with each other <laughs> and, and capitulate uh, each yes. in kind. And, and part so, of the time you tr- you must have trusted him because that's oh yeah, yeah no he had yeah. some great advice. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and the long and the short of it is he sort of taught me how to assemble poems with a narrative arc which helped then with the third section with the mother poems okay. um, that that was a lot more cleanly done on my part which is titled taken with right and and that is one long poem that is in num- numbered sections right and i i would read from That's, one of them the sure, one that, that has that, that has the wonderful. title of that section uh, the one from which the title is derived okay thank you john Excuse me. I'd wheeled mother where faith hour was slated to begin after the chaplain got there, wiping first her chin because a spoon in her hand was an inexact tool. I was set to leave. Where are you going, mother asked. I'm going home. Take me with you, she said, and laughed a kind of a wreck. The woman to her left said, take me with you, too. Then the six or seven of them all took the sentence on like hail taking on a garbage can. Take me with you. Take me with you. Ha, ha, ha. Take me with you. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Like a headache made of starlings. I can't, I said. I have a wife and dog. A dog. Ha, 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 ha. A wife, laugh, laugh, laugh. Take me with you, take me with you. Ha, ha, laugh, laugh, laugh. I zippered my coat closed with a ferocity that shut them up. Unbalanced silence in the room. Mom knocked it over, saying, you should go. Saying, I've been where you're going. Anyway, go walk your dog. Thank you, John. Thank you, and so... And so that that poem that um, since since we're looking sort of at the structural aspects yeah, too, sure. so that's number fifteen in and out of let's see how many sections uh, are 26, there? Twenty six, I hope. Twenty six out. Oh, twenty seven. Twenty seven. Oh, I added one. That's, that's right. A, yeah, I wonder. I, so there's one that's in here that was not in the chat book. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And because I did, um, it's interesting that you say that because I felt like there was some different, something, some different intention going on with this, this one. And I was going to ask you about yeah. why that was the, cause it's the final moment in the book as well. Uh, the, um, uh, the, this, this number 27. Oh, from this but that's poem. not the one I added. Oh, it's I'm not. So that was, oh, okay. No, that's oh, in the chat okay. book. There's one about, um, 
Oh, it's there's a limerick in there about going to the <laughs> library to look for the for a book of limericks because my mother had a, a pretty great sense of humor and uh, a somewhat blue sense of humor, and there was a, actually an obscene limerick book in the library of this. <laughs> <laughs> this place, and so we would labor our way there, and and she she loved to have me read the uh, limericks. Oh, so I wrote a limerick for that. Oh, that's yeah, that's really. Great. Do you want to read that one? Uh, what, Do you want to? It's it? um, it's number eleven, and it's page sixty-two yeah. in the book. I didn't know it. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I almost have it memorized, but not quite. The library door's hard to get through for this mother, son, and wheelchair stew. But there's a limerick book, and we each like to look at the one that rhymes rescue with screw you. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, yeah, I was, uh, and that's and that's great because that's um, it's a it's a form, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got a poetic form thrown into this long poem. Plus, it's a re- um, the com- comic relief, which yeah. is because um, this is a very very sad poem. This is a sad yeah. and, and beautiful, but um, oh, yeah. such sad moment. Of course, um, how could it not be? Yeah, and it's interesting because it's also, um, it's got its comic relief. My mother had a terrific sense of humor. There are, uh, there are there's an odd in-joke in there that only she would get, where when she dies, there is a poem in which she dies, where I have her speaking, saying... Um, at last I've passed. And then I said we were in an altogether different class and could not hear a word. That was kind of an in-joke at our family because one of the daily papers always referred to people as who died as having passed in their headlines in the obits. And she thought it was hilarious because she thought of either football <laughs> um, or school. Yeah. And so when I wrote that, I knew that if she can pay attention now. She's chuckling. She would uh, love, yeah, that, yeah. That was a shout yeah. out for mom. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I noticed that part and I had a good moment of yeah. laughing too like, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think of the football, but I definitely felt the the passing for school. But I guess because here we are at the University of Michigan, right? right? So right. that's probably the the case. Um it's funny because with the um my going back to your limit Limerick briefly, John. Um, there, my before my father died, a friend of his who lived in Kirkland, so near near mm-hmm. Seattle, had sent him one of those license plate frames that said "Screw the Golden Years." So always, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's um. Anyway, so just thought yeah. I'd throw that out yeah, there well, too. It's... So I'm with you on this in this poem in many different many different ways. What was that? And so these were fragments that you then went back to. This was a, yeah, an example of, of some that. of them were. You know, um, born whole and living, and others just needed so much work. You know, and and the one that I read, the "Take Me With You," um, hundreds of, well, a couple hundred, three hundred drafts. It went in several different directions. It and um, it's kind of marginally true in that in the nursing home there was a, another woman who kept asking me to take her with take take her with me when I left, and I was sort of frightened of her. She was very aggressive, crone woman with these great gnarly hands and this thin white hair, and she would shout at me, take me with you, in this angry way. And my mother thought it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Mom. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, well, well, let's take a short break, sure. and we'll be back. You're listening to Living Writers um, today, Meaning a Cloud, uh, John Marshall's book. We'll be right back.
listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today, John Marshall. Uh, his book of poems, Meaning a Cloud. Um, so, John, you're also, you, you mentioned during the short break, you said you're going, you're heading to Oberlin yes. after this. Yeah. And and so there, so you're going to be there for a couple of days talking to students, or what? what's that gig? Because right. you said you wear many hats, so we're going to kind of go through a few of your hats. <laughs> yeah, so that one is is talking to students, or I think it's open to the public. It's on Saturday, and... Um, it coincides with an alumni, I think this is the hundred and gosh knows whatever uh, anniversary of Oberlin College. Is so that, is that where you alumni. went to school? Is no. that why you're bring, going? I'm only going there because of the, the press. I mean, it, they published it. And uh, David Young, I've met now a couple times, who's one of the um, one of the editors, publishers there. He's a terrific guy. And so that on Saturday, talking about kind of the book industry, talking about um, the internet and printing presses and just about anything, because I do wear a lot of hats. And you do, and you also, you have a printing press yourself. Yeah. Where Where is that? Because that's quite a large thing to have. Actually, I have a relatively, I don't mean to dispute, but I have a relatively oh. <laughs> small printing press, but you're right. You're what, so contentious. Yeah. You know, what, what's, what takes up space is type. Because, uh, you know, unlike... The drawers and drawers and drawers, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's in my garage currently, and uh, there's a shop in the garage, and it, it does take up maybe a couple hundred square feet. So it's, it's and it weighs tons, literally, because type is lead, and it's kept in these um, metal cases, so... It's a lot of weight, and it, and all that came because of Paul Hunter. Uh, he when he did my first chapbook, he invited me to come and set a line of type, and he's just he's a terrifically outgoing, uh, contagious character, and you know he talked the history, he talked Shakespeare and typesetting and all this stuff, and it it got under my skin. It's really quite an addiction. The smell of ink and oil and solvents and. Laying, laying the type. Um, and, and the paper. It's, yeah. There's, yeah. Right. It's yeah. all wonderful. It is. It's, yes. you know, it's, it's, it's hideously time consuming. <laughs> but if you're, if you're kind of have that, that quirk of brain where you like to just put a little piece of copper in because you need a little more space in that line or in that word, then, um, then it's for you. Yeah. It's, a it's shard really of wonderful. copper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Spacing material. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I had a chance at Copper Canyon Press to work. They were getting their letter oh, that's press. That's a beautiful back, press. Back. Yeah. Oh, it is on out in Port Townsend, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. How, so how is, what is the, let's talk regionalism for sure. a little bit. Sure. Because you mentioned if Paul Hunter, for example, was living in Boston, his his Stanley uh, broadsides would be gone. The Cunits would I be would think so. probably out the door. So yeah. what what is it about um, the Northwest and the and the poetry community out there? Can you tell us a little bit? Because it seems like you've been in it for decades now. Yeah, I certainly have. Yeah, um, the Northwest has a pretty good history, um, particularly going from the 1950s on, and still to some extent. Uh, Theodore Retke casts the biggest shadow. He won a from Pulitzer. From Michigan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. To, no, you're right. <laughs> Go you're blue. Right. In fact, I should have. Uh, I should have thought of that. I should make a pilgrimage. Look for the greenhouse or something. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, Retke got a Pulitzer when he was living there. Um, subsequently, there have been some other very well-known American poets who have 
come through, and there are some uh, well-known ones teaching there now. And then there's there uh, like um, Gary Snyder was born in in Seattle, though uh, north of Seattle, which is now Seattle, but at the time hadn't been uh, gobbled up by the city. And Gary Snyder was on the program and talked about how the whole West Coast is his sort of his his neighborhood, moving yeah. up and down the coast. Yeah, yeah. And but, but sorry to interrupt. Oh no, I'm, I mean, and I'm kind of fascinated by that. I'm right now reading. I besides trying to write every day, I try to read in some huge fat book of poems every day, and I'm reading the collected Philip Whalen, who was born. Born on the Columbia, I think, in Washington, but went to read uh, in Portland and writes often about Seattle, about Portland. And letters back and forth with Snyder. Oh, yeah. Well, he influenced, I mean, Snyder, Philip Whalen, this whole kind of what became the San Francisco aspects of the San Francisco Renaissance. Uh, well, only I, that's, I know for those of you who really know, they're not in the Renaissance, but they were around the Renaissance. Um, <laughs> Waylon, Snyder, uh, Lou Welch. Uh, Waylon influenced those guys a great deal. He was older. He'd been in Korean War. Um, he read philosophy widely. He became a true Zen monk. He was not a dabbler. Uh, fascinating. And I think if there's something to, to say about regionalism, it is the influence of Asia on Northwest poetry, and meaning Northwest from the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area North, that you don't see, I don't think, so much in um, East Coast American poetry, where I think Europe still uh, is is the predominant influence. Like I know what I'm talking about. No, that's really interesting that you said that, because as soon as you said that, then I thought, oh, I think you're right. Well, what, what happens is what, what, there's, there's a sort of a speed to the writing in... Um, in Zen and and trying to kind of capture the mind at work um, and a, a little less study. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a more it's a, it's a more alive to the moment thing, and you definitely see that in Whalen Snyder. Um, something I'm I'm really getting quite fond of, and yeah. you can see it in in good Japanese painting and uh, Chinese painting too. And, and it seems like Copper Canyon Press, um, when Sam Hamill was there, too. Right. And, um, and Michael Wiegers, he's, of, of course, um, also interested in, in... It seems like the Asian influence yeah. was huge in, in what the broadsides and um, oh, yeah, they and chose. They, they do what a wonderful translation of Cold Mountain um, yes. that they have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, although they anymore are not regional. I mean, God, no. God love them. I was on the board for a while. I'm, oh, you I'm, were? I'm very okay. fond of, of Copper Canyon. <laughs> You're one of the crusaders, uh, and <laughs> well, keep, yeah, keep going. It was kind of that way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they they are national. I mean, they, uh, Merwin now is yes. publishing his new poetry with them, which mm -hmm. is which is a huge deal. And that's when he won the National Book Award. Was the book they made? Yeah. Um, Migrations. I yeah, think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and what's great with Copper Canyon, uh, which I think are unlike other presses, is that they nothing's ever out of print. Like they get with a, a poet, so they'll always have right. books in print. And right. I think that's what Merwin was yeah, also Merwin's... impressed by, because many of his books were out of print, even though they had maybe come from Knopf for you know, in these bigger houses, but right. you you couldn't find a new copy. Yeah. That's, you know, that's very true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Copper Canyon just clearly has a great love of poetry. And the larger houses are more and more run uh, economically and not 
literarily. Yes. Um, it's not so much about the words, it's about how much money will the words make. And that that's, um, I think, perhaps one of the things, and again, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that would have an influence on someone like Merwin. Yes, and, and Jim Harrison, too, yeah. why he chooses chooses that. Right. So what are you printing? What What's your press? Um, what well, you have going, John? Uh, it has various names. Um, the one that has been on anything is Cash Machine, uh, because as I sat waiting for... Um, for Indian takeout at a restaurant. When I'd just gotten to press, I looked across the street and saw this, you know, block print cash machine thing. I thought, oh, what a great name. Especially for something with poems, right? Yeah. Beautiful artifact of a poem. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, there's a little irony. Um, But the other thing is, a printing press, um, in the old days, and before they started doing these multiple colors and having this uh, thread down the sides and stuff, this was how you... Uh, faked cash. This was an illegal endeavor, but you could make <laughs> cash. I didn't. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it can be a cash machine, but you, you know, unfortunately, now it's all digital. If you're if you're going to bogus up some money, you have to be uh, computer literate. So that's not what you and Christine are doing nah, in your garage right now. I mean, maybe for, we could. It's make, all for open books. <laughs> yeah, I think we could make third world money probably. But uh, yeah. Well, there's nice vacations there to you know to, <laughs> that's to plan. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, John, will you read us a, another poem? Sure. Um, may, maybe from the, did you say the middle section? Yeah, Is I that... would like to do something that's, um, something that, that one of the things, I'm going to change up on you a little bit. I had, at the break, had mentioned one poem, but I think I'm going to switch it to the prior. Um, w- part of the idea of writing about the polis is how, we live in such an era where military and military spending and military incursions are in our consciousness daily. I mean, at least the people I hang out with, and it it, it seems inescapable. Um, and uh, so I'm not trying to write screeds, but just sort of acknowledge that. Uh, and what I'd like to read is um, a poem called Not Let Across the Hood Canal. Now, the Hood Canal is a canal. There's a floating bridge there. It's also where the Bangor submarine base is. I don't want to give away the poem too much. Um, So, not let across the Hood Canal. Like public-funded art, it is a threat. Makes the traffic stop because a tender's opened up the bridge. The surfaced submarine is heading out that tendon in the global lurk and shove. At the railing, oohs and ahs. The hills around are green as stacked green towels. Children roar to life like tassels. Yes, the wind will make you okay, teary. A trident sub is canary black, is black, is solitary as a mile marker. We have everywhere to be and have to wait. Thank you, John. Sure, sure. Yeah. Canary black, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's because yeah, you're because you almost think ah uh, yellow, and then you're like no because that, and that sub is black. Obviously, oh, we, so it could be um, stealthy. Once <laughs> but, Christine and I had a little rental boat um, uh, off of a marina and. We saw a, uh, a trident going out, and they do their surface when they go out. Um, it was phenomenal. Um, 
bit of muscle. I mean, it quite clearly is. And it, it um, so we kind of motored after it jokingly. I mean, with a, like a 10 horsepower little aluminum thing as it was sort of flying out. Um, they are amazing. I mean, they're uh, amazing what the human mind can create um, and kind of how sad the purpose of this phenomenal thing the human mind has created. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, fascinating and, and weird. Because, mm, yeah, because it seems like just going back to the image that you, you created in the poem and, and then with this story, John, it seems like it must be something very ominous and dark moving in the water and, and then sort of like that if you were to see a, a shark where it's actually close enough to the surface where you see it moving mm -hmm. as well and that same feeling that you get that it's something that's beautiful yeah but so to the, what ends as well although yeah. i mean we need sharks i don't right we need right yeah, i mean yeah um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah exactly and, and it, it is important to acknowledge that beauty part um yeah <laughs> but that's about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. A tip of the cap to the beauty. Right. Enough of this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so, it, yeah, one of the joys of reading your book, John, was that there are so many moments that are definitely connected directly to this this area that you're working from. Like mm -hmm. you're working from uh, you, a sense of place very much. Yeah. And I wanted that. And it, it that comes to me through lots of sources but one of the one of the big fat books i read f fairly recently some years some few years ago was the collected james schuyler who was a poet of the new york school friend of ashbury's and franco harris and all who whom i'm liking more than i'm i, I just like him about the best of the lot a phenomenal poet he was the most uh, attached of them and definitely had some institutionalizations happen. He, he, uh, he didn't read publicly until he was in his 50s. Um, I think quite a difficult character, but very, very lively, uh, terrific description and quite a poet of looking out the window, very much a poet of looking out the window. And, and I just started to wonder why poets do anything else. You know, I, I, I like looking out the window and and then trying to make an interesting description out of it. That's on, that sounds just about right, John. Yeah. Let's, let, yeah. let's take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We'll be back. Maybe you're right. 
Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. And today on the program, um, we have John Marshall here. And you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, thank goodness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love this radio station. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say thanks also to Alex Bellhodge for coming in for our morning taping. Um, <laughs> thank you, Alex. Because <laughs> now it's afternoon in, in the surreal way that uh, radio goes, right? But, yeah. Yeah, we're we're also um, we're everywhere at once, John. Wow, <laughs> spread thin. Yeah, yeah, like these plastic water glasses <laughs> we're using. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I wanted to ask you a quick question to go back to open books for a sure, moment. Sure. Good. Um, what are some of the moments? Because you bring you and Christine bring in um, poets to to come and read, and poets who know. I think. Well, I imagine that they know about your shop as a, one of the places in the states that's it's 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 only for poems like i think that makes it you pretty unique yeah i mean there's the grolier in cambridge massachusetts and that's the only other poetry only bookstore we know of there are of course bookstores with terrific poetry sections uh and then there's i think at least one catalog or mail order uh poetry probably more than one i guess there's only one i know of and i can't quite think of their right name so i won't try it okay um yeah, so we're 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 developing a reputation, and now we get queried about readings by people who have second or third or fourth books out and are coming Seattle way. So, so that's that makes our life somewhat easier. And so, do they would they read at open books and then also maybe go on to Elliott Bay or to another venue, or is it that they're reading at open books solely when they're in Seattle, or how? Um, our preference, if any of you out there listening are going to try to hustle a reading out of us. Um, is for, in, unless there is a considerable audience for you in Seattle, that that it's kind of one or the other. Elliott Bay is the terrific um, general bookstore in Seattle with uh, daily readings, sometimes two a day. And so they're, they're a fine venue as well. If someone, you know, is going to appeal to 30 people or 40 people in Seattle, we would like them all to come to our store instead of 15 to us and 25 to Elliott Bay or vice versa. And I think Elliott Bay to some extent feels feel the, the same, same way. Yeah. So, so we, we, yeah, we try to, although then there are people like, I mean, locals like Madeline DeFries or, or oh, some folks, yeah, yes. who, who, you know, have, has just a huge pool of fans and she can read three or four five venues in Seattle and there's no problem with audience. And probably, I mean, how could you say no to Madeline DeFries if she says, oh, oh I'm going to be coming by your way, right? You don't say no to Madeline. No. <laughs> she know. wouldn't know what it meant. Yeah, yeah. She, and she worked with Richard Hugo. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and a former, former um, uh, woman of the cloth, right? And yes. As yes. Well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fascinating character. Yeah, she's amazing. I, yeah. I, I, I love, love her. Yeah. Um, so what about... So what are some of the moments at Open Books when you've had people come in where you've either been um, surprised or that by something or, or moments that just kind of come to mind, right. of some of the readings? I think I think the first one that comes to mind isn't a reading, and it was okay. helpful, I think, in, in, well, in the bank it was helpful, and, and in putting us on the map, in the, um, uh, Seamus Heaney came by after he had gotten the Nobel. He came to the UW for a... A very well and well paid um, talk in the evening, and the people contacted us and asked if we would want to have a signing. So he didn't read, but we set up a table in the back of the store. His 
selected opened ground had just come out in hardcover. And we sna- we have a long and narrow bookstore. So we sort of snaked the uh, people starting to form the line inside the bookstore. It ended up going outside the bookstore and down the block to the corner. And it was drizzling out. Unfortunately, uh, it wasn't raining hard. <laughs> um, people clutching gifts for him. And he signed for um, about an hour and a half. And there were always people there. And w- what was perhaps most fun for me is that uh, he then bought a book afterwards. And we said, no, 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 please. You know, you can have this book. So then he bought another book. And so he handed me his uh, American Express gold card. So I felt like I was a New Yorker ad or something. I'm looking at this gold card, and it says Seamus Heaney on it. It's like, oh, yeah, of course, of course. And then you looked up, and there was like a visa everywhere you need to be or whatever it is. There's a camera woman there. It was, was, yeah, that was odd, to say the least, unexpected. Wow. Um, Oh, that's exciting, though, isn't it? Yeah. And to have someone there, like, it shows... Thank goodness there is some there is cultural importance to the people yeah. are are waiting down the block. It, it's not oh, just... and and a character like Heaney. I mean, there oh. were so many people there who who knew Ireland or were from Ireland, and and they wanted to talk to him about this or that family. And I mean, I kind of felt sorry for him. He he knew oh, maybe ten no. percent of it, and he just wanted to sign books. He got tired of doing inscriptions, and people wanted him to write in Gaelic and us all. This oh stuff. no! Oh, oh so yeah. Some of the people can be kind of unreasonable. Yeah, although this one guy brought him a bottle of um, some Irish whiskey. Well, that'll that, help things along. Oh, yeah. You know, it was before noon, and we were giving him coffee, and he said he didn't <laughs> he didn't want a third cup unless we had something for it, <laughs> you know, which was really sweet. And the woman who was, who was driving him around stared at me, and I think if we'd had something for it, she would have killed me. Um, but, yeah, this guy brought him a bottle. And, it, and then uh, he did have something for No, it. he didn't crack oh. it there. Because oh, oh. <laughs> this was before 12, so it's kind of nice. Um, that he well, didn't. somewhere in the world it's after 12. Yeah, that's I mean, right. It just depends right. on where you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, oh. that's, that's quite memorable. And, and we've had some lovely unexpected readings, I mean, by people whom we just sign up because we admire their publisher. We're not familiar with their work. Uh, there is a guy who's got a second book coming out who lives up in Minneapolis, Dobby Gibson. And uh, his first book is just really terrific. It's called Polar, I think, Alice James. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have, I mean, I like Alice James' taste a great deal. So so he'd contacted us and, and uh, set up a reading. And, you know, he's, his book then became a bit of a store fave. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure had that not happened, the, uh, the reading, that that would have happened. Do people in the community, John, then come to the shop when there's a reading, even if they don't know the poet? Just it's that kind of a not, place? Not a lot, but more? a few. Oh, okay. there, there, are, there are some, uh, you know, true believers. Yes. Yeah. Well, you were not men- enough, mentioning the eccentric. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> not, yeah, that's, yes. Not it, that they're... And that's, that's rather hand. nice. I mean, one of the things that makes the bookstore live for us, quite clearly, is the characters that come in the door. Um, once in a while, they're infuriar- infuriating. I'm not even sure how you say that word. <laughs> but generally, they're quirky in a charming way. Uh, and then sometimes there's just great deep engagement that happens. I mean, we've made friends through the bookstore. 
um, which is which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a good thing you're not selling the Les Schwab tires, right? Well, I might have you know, <laughs> gotten into tread talk with somebody. I, who well, because you already worked at the gas station. I right. Think, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, think that's, that's why a, I, that's yeah. true. That's my my subconscious. Yeah, don't go back <laughs> there, John. Don't go Aye. back there. You in the cars. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, maybe we'll hear. I, maybe let's hear a poem sure. from that section, sure. shall we? And then we'll, okay. So I thought I would read the... Um, also, the poem from which, uh, is this true? Is this the title poem for That's this section? I, let me see. Oh, it is not the title poem for this section, but I'm going to read it anyway. Okay. Um, I'm going to read the one called Shampoo and Sponge Bath. Okay. Uh, and it's in two sections, but I won't read you the numbers. I'll just kind of do an extra pause. <clears throat> It takes a small face to see itself in the hand mirror offered when staff says it's time to wash that greasy hair, says it'll help. Like a tuber on the pillow or the shadow of a spade is how I remember looking. Water slopped on my gown and skin and sheets. When they laid my head back into the metal basin, I died, and happily that time. There was a terrifyingly large sky that first day they rolled me out for air, terrifyingly, and clouds like balled-up cobwebs. What if the chair got caught in a crack or on a rock? I watched for that. There's one, the orderly said, meaning a cloud that looks like you. There was weakness in each of them. There was a fraying wind. A mess, he said, like you before your bath. Thank you, John. Thank you. So when you have when you started reading that, I thought, oh, that's the title poem well, of the, the book. book. I should have remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's why it felt like a title poem because it is. Because it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so what? Why? Why did you p- pick that um, phrase from the? Because it's a line on its own. Isn't yeah, it's it? a line on so. its own. Um, I think because. Because the line is referring to something that's um, a transitory, a cloud, and a fellow saying, this looks like you. Clearly, it, um, it isn't me, and clearly it's also going to be wispy away. And something else very soon. And- yeah, and, and I feel that way about um, poetry. I mean, I feel that way about the poem. The, the poem is alive in a way for a moment and then it's alive in the reader or the hearer but then it also um goes away you know there's a, as as all art it's the fact of it being framed i guess as all life i'm gonna way go over the over my head here <laughs> but uh um we are transitory and and um so the idea that these poems in a way are as meaningful as a cloud they're here, and then they're not. Um, and then there's a slight shout-out, a 3% shout-out to Mary Oppen, who was the poet George Oppen's wife, who wrote a memoir called Meaning a Life, which I've always loved that title. And uh, so, so I just substituted one word. But that, honestly, the poem came well before I knew about that. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah, because I, I was, I was, I, I love that title too. But I was, I was interested to hear what. And then when I saw the the phrase in the poem, I was thinking, oh, okay, and how it's working and yeah. what it's meaning with 
there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because meaning the cloud, yeah. Well, um, I I wanted to uh, go back briefly to to say one of the the most memorable experiences I had at your shop was um, when uh, James Tate came, and uh, that huge was, hero of mine. You know, absolutely. He, oh he, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, from I I began to take poetry seriously in um, 1979, and uh, some of his um, poems from that era uh, were indispensable. I mean, you know, clearly he's one of the Wait, top you dozen said, you poets. You said seventy-nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, so was that lo- was that Lost Pilot lo- or was that Lost Pilot or, after, or was that after? It's I, after Lost Pilot that came I, out in the sixties, but he was. I mean, I'm going to say twelve. Clearly, he wasn't twelve, but he was like twenty, twenty twenty-one or something. And that's right. such a great book. Um, So we were very honored, and it was the Richard Hugo House who contacted us and asked if we wanted to host Dara Wire, who's who's his partner. Yeah, and she'd been doing something for Hugo at the Hugo House uh, if we would host the two of them. And I mean, that's not a question you think about (laughs) answering. You just say, oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, that was a pleasure. And we didn't advertise that in the paper. We didn't put it in our mailer because we knew, you know, we're a small store and... 60 people is perhaps capacity, and we probably had 80 uh, at that event. I think you were there, right? That, yes, yeah. And it, um, yeah, it is great pleasure that that happened. Absolutely. Well, I'll always remember it. Yeah. And John, thank you so much for, for coming on the program today. I've, I've loved our conversation. Well, thank you, T. So, yeah. And, and come back when you're, whenever you're in town. Um, of course. <laughs> and, uh, okay, well, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Living Writers, and thanks to Alex Bellhodge for engineering. Um, thanks, Ann Arbor. Thanks to those streaming in Seattle, uh, Chicago, Florida, maybe Bermuda, wherever you are. I'm T. Hetzel. Um, you've been listening to John Marshall, J.W. Marshall's uh, book, Meaning a Cloud. Go get it. Until next time. So I could love you twice as much as I do I'd have four loving arms to embrace you Four eyes to idolize you each time I place you With two hearts twice and true What couldn't four lips do When four years you saying I'm yours And now, you can do it. The Daily Sports Report. Mm, you can do it all.
on 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Hello and welcome to Daily Sports Report. There it goes. As uh, not paying attention in here as I was dancing to the previous music, but we're good to go now and let's uh, put up y'all's mic so y'all can talk. As uh, that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> yes, so, we're here. All right, good. Uh, what can I say? Tiring day. Lot <laughs> midterms, papers. It's all showing up around now. Gloomy day, rain, a rainy day. Not sports it's just a news. Nasty day all around in Ann Arbor. And then on top of that, there's nothing going on in the sports world. <laughs> no, not today. So You're going to get a bunch of scattered, random stuff today for those listening. Pretty much. So if we're going to start out with boring, let's go with most boring and go with Michigan. As There's absolutely nothing going on in Michigan. <laughs> well, let's uh, start out with uh, men's tennis. Uh, I know we talked about them yesterday. They're playing singles yesterday. Tomorrow they'll be playing uh, doubles at the... 